All right, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to another episode of the IT Pro TV podcast. I'm your host, Dom Pizzette, back in studio today with special guest Justin Dennison. Justin, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. You know, it's a little nerve-wracking from time to time, but that's that's how things go. Justin got the 10-minute uh, the invitation to the podcast, so he found out about 10 minutes ago that I was going to have him on here, but I wanted to grab him specifically because there's a lot going on out there today that... Uh, that I think he can provide us some some good information on. And and specifically, what I want to talk about in this episode is the the AWS outage that we had yesterday. You know, AWS does not have outages very often. They do happen. It's one of those unusual things that, that occurs. The, the last major AWS outage was, was two years ago. It was back in 2015. So this is a pretty rare occurrence, but it does happen. And on those occasions when it does, boy, it, it hits the news, it blows up big. It's something that a lot of people will, will notice and be aware of because it's such a big impact. And we're all surprised it happened. So I, I wanna talk a little bit about that and, and things we can do to, to not have it affect us so much in the future. Now, the first thing we need to, to recognize is that the outage didn't affect all of AWS. Not like just all of Amazon shut down all of a sudden, it's the end of the world, right? Instead. What happened was it was just the S3, the, the simple storage service, which is a, a service that, that we use at IT Pro TV. I know a lot of organizations use it because if you want to distribute files, you just chuck them up there and everybody can get access to it and it works great. The surprising part about this one was if you sign up for Amazon's S3, they, they advertise this uptime, right? This availability, all this crazy infrastructure that goes on behind the scenes and they're pretty high numbers. I mean, Justin, if I tell you, hey, your stuff's going to be available 99.99% of the time. That's pretty good, isn't it? That, that's, I mean, for me, that's an amazing uptime. Um, but I, I will say sometimes I think that lulls us into a false sense of security because I know, you know, when, I, when I'm developing applications, if, if I make an assumption that a service is always going to be there, kind of put it out of my mind, just make it work and then set it and forget it kind of deal. And I think that's where some people ran into trouble when S3 finally went, you know, puts for a little while. Yeah, that, that for a little while part, right? So 99.99% uptime, if we work that out, it's uh, basically you can have 52 minutes of downtime per year, 52 minutes. That, that's not a lot, but it's it's a, a noticeable amount. They were down for four hours. They they were well past that SLA. So obviously we, we wanna know what happened and they haven't released their finding yet. Amazon, they, they take a little while because they, they wanna do the root cause analysis and figure that stuff out. So it does take a little while. But in the meantime, we've got to look at it as, as, as users of the service and say, is there something we could have done, not to prevent the problem, because it's not our fault, right? It's, it's Amazon's fault. But is there something we could have done to make ourselves a little less reliant on this one solution? I, you know, the, the question that I've gotten the most from people out there is they said, you know, Don, if we use AWS, the, the big deal is that they have all these data centers all over the world, super beneficial that we can we can leverage those. And uh, actually, I've got the, uh, the the little map pulled up here of all the uh, all the regions that they have. So this is if you deploy files on S3, you can deploy files to any one of these regions across the world. I mean, we've got Eastern US, Western US, Europe, Asia, Australia, South America. You can deploy to any one of these places, and each one is a state-of-the-art data center or more, right? When we talk about, like, East Virginia, there's five different data centers, or North Virginia. Uh, I'm, I'm going to add new Virginias to the, <laughs> to the country today. Mm -hmm. but, uh, uh, but you've got multiple data centers right there. 
and we have an outage like this, the outage, it actually only affected North Virginia. All the other Amazon data centers, all the other regions around the world were just fine. But this one went down and a lot of us had all our eggs in one basket. You know, it's all of our files right there in North Virginia. So here's the, the, the part where I wanted to bring Justin on the show because Justin's a developer. You know, I, I, I focus on uh, more uh, sysadmin operations, that kind of thing. But Justin's got the developer side of things. And what I'm wondering is, all right, it is super easy for me to take an S3 bucket and do cross-region replication. It's just a little checkbox you hit, you pick another region, and, and now I could have had all of my files in U.S. East and U.S. West, or U.S. East and Europe West, or, or whatever, right? But from, a, from an end-user standpoint, I don't want to go to a website and have to, like, pick where I'm loading files from. So it has to be programmatically done, right? So, so Dennis, let's, let's put ourselves in a developer shoe. Dennis, Justin, let me put, put yourself. I, I have a, a nickname for Justin because his last name is Dennison. And in my mind, I always think Dennison, you know, like he's, he's my, my pet demon over here. <laughs> and, and so, so, uh, so anyhow, uh, back, back on topic. Um, if you're writing an application, a web app, you know, maybe a PHP or something like that, uh, and it has to load resources. How would we handle that? Like, how, how would an application know to look more than one place to find resources? So, I think I think one of the big issues from a developer standpoint, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we kind of push things to the side. We want to get things done quickly, iterate through them fast, you know, so we can get customer products, see how they feel about it, and then get feedback, and then continue that iteration cycle. As a result, what will happen is we'll use services. I know I do. I use services that I don't think, you know, oh, I'm, I, this is where my Mongo instance lives. And then behind the scenes, they're using AWS and they're managing all of the backups, uh, all of the, the connect, connectivity that's available. And it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And what happens is, is if it goes down, we're searching the wrong place. And part of that is developers, you know, you said you deal with sysadmin things. Sometimes that's very difficult for developers because you're always, oh, I need to learn how to program this, but am I also managing infrastructure? So we utilize these services, but sometimes that kind of comes back to bite us because the service will go down, but it's actually AWS or something like that that's feeding the service, which causes the outage. And now you're just kind of scratching your head for a few hours and going, huh, that's kind of weird. I don't, I don't know why I can't connect to my database or why my static file assets can't be served up. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, sometimes it's, we put too much out of our mind and it, it, it gets us. Yeah. And you, you know, you, you mentioned like, uh, um, when you use a service that in turn is using AWS, right? So immediately in my mind, I, I thought of Heroku, right? Heroku is a, a very popular developer platform that, uh, before, before Docker reached its, its level of fame was a really great way to deploy things because they manage these micro instances for you. You could write an application, deploy it right out into the, the Heroku cloud and you didn't have to worry about the machines underlying it, right? But the machines underlying it were EC2 instances. It was, mm -hmm. it was Amazon Web Services. And so they, in turn, were, were depending on the system that could, in theory, fall out. And what we do is we hope that Heroku or whoever it is that we're using, that they're building in redundancy and, and high availability into their solutions, but you don't necessarily know uh, unless you build your own, right? Yeah, and, and I'm, if, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, just... 
Uh, and my, my looking around on Heroku, some of their environments that they use to deploy these services, because Heroku supports, used to be primarily a Ruby on Rails, like that's what we did well, but I know they support Node, Python, Scala, various JVM languages, but they have something called build packs that are like a static asset. It's almost like an image of the some sort, and that's pulled up and kind of built in place in response to the project that you deploy to Heroku. So that, you know, that's a, that's a storage solution. Is that something that relies on S3 that kind of breaks, yeah. breaks the build, if you will. And that, that's another challenge that we have is if we were talking about a, a web server, right? Well, this is easy. You, you, you bring up a load balancer, you, you bring up more than one load balancer, have a load balancer in us East, have a load balancer in us West, and then make your DNS entry point to both load balancers. If one goes down, people just start hitting the other one. Behind the load balancers, you have any number of websites. That, that's easy, right? But when you're talking about file storage, that's a different story. File protocols aren't really designed to look more than one place. And so we start encountering issues like this because we could say we could go the Apple route, right? Apple with iCloud, where they said, uh, you know, we could have everything in AWS. We could do our own data centers, but instead let's do this. Let's put half of iCloud over here in AWS and the other half of iCloud over in Azure. And that's what they did. They spread across more than one cloud. And that's pretty attractive. If you're a, if you're a business and you're deploying cloud assets, why get married into one environment? I mean, it's nice that, you know, I, I pulled up the map here. Let me pull up uh, somebody else's map. So uh, we looked at, at Amazon's map here. If I bring up uh, like Microsoft's, here's the Azure map, which looks very, very similar to what we saw with, with uh, uh, Azure, right? I mean, I'm sorry, AWS. Uh, and if we look, take a look at like Google Compute, uh, same kind of thing, right? The Google Cloud Platform, we've got these data centers that are largely in similar locations. Now, don't, there is a conspiracy theory that these are all the same, <laughs> but it's, it's not quite like that because what, what's actually going on here is um, they're, they're near big cities, capital cities, right? Uh, so if you're in the United States, the capital of the United States, Washington, D.C., that Northern Virginia data center, that's really close to Washington, D.C. So it makes sense that that would be where that data center would be. Now, I, I was surprised with Google to, to find out that they've got one up near Seattle, which makes sense, but not one near Silicon Valley, you know, like in California that you, you see that with uh, some of the other guys. Well, I guess Azure, they have Gov Arizona. They don't really have one. You know, the only thing I can think of, Don, is uh, real estate is so expensive, right? That maybe it's just a, a you know, uh, that's true. With acquiring assets or maybe even land rights in order to, to maintain something of that size. Yeah. Um, I, it's just a cost effective. I'm, I'm just postulating. I don't, <laughs> that, that makes sense to me because, you know, you hear all those crazy stories. Hey, here's a bunk bed for $1,300 a month. So yeah, that, you can share with somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So, so having one of these vendors, yes, they can give you data centers all over the place, but I, I'm thinking back to the outage that Amazon had in, in 2015. So two years ago, they had an outage. And it was really frustrating because it was a problem with load balancers and it was a routing problem. Like they had some bad routes get pushed through so you couldn't get to the load balancers. The load balancers themselves were working just fine. And all the EC2 instances behind them, they were working just fine too. You just didn't have a route to get there. It showed that weakness in network infrastructure. And I don't know what the problem is on S3, but the fact that it effect affected all five of the availability zones in the U.S. East region, that makes me think routing again. It makes me think that that's what we're going to find out because it wasn't a failed hard drive. Mm -hmm. They got 
hundreds of thousands of those, I'm sure. And it had to be bigger than one availability zone. So that's that's a, a pretty big thing. So that makes me think it's something that they they caused themselves, mm -hmm. right? Like like a bad route change, and the fact that it didn't affect other uh, data centers. So if we deploy with one company, right? If we just deploy with AWS, obviously we want to make sure we're spreading our assets across those those different locations. But if we could spread across more than one cloud company, I, I think that's really the best solution. But then that puts a burden on the developer side, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're writing an application, your application now has to either know to look both places or I guess there's the approach of, like, let's say it's a web server and we're talking about image assets. So I, I, I have a web server, it's running Apache or Nginx or whatever, and it needs to load images. And if they're in an S3 bucket and the S3 bucket goes down, we can't get to those images, right? Mm -hmm. But we could we could automate it. We could script it so that when that web server powered up, it grabbed a copy off the S3 bucket and stored it locally. And then we'd be up because then it would just be local files. That really wouldn't be a problem to program around, would it? Uh, no, I mean, a lot of these are, are kind of batch processes because you know, static assets are not too horrible to manage, you know, that initial pull, hey, try this, if you get a 404 or a timeout request or something of that nature, just to have it switch over and try a different endpoint. Uh, I think where the real problem comes in, at least in my experience, was when you had assets that would change because of like user information, then that, become a, that became a little more difficult to handle because, oh, well, let me try here. What if I have stale data? Um, but within the developer community with some new tools like Docker and, and infrastructures like that, there is a push for that heterogeneous kind of use multiple places, including on-premises, because maybe that's your last fallback um, is, is an on-premises store that maybe you're not maintaining something with a great deal of redundancy, but it's available to you just in case things go horribly awry. So I, I have seen that and a big push for this heterogeneous infrastructure instead of relying solely on a single cloud provider. Yeah, and, and you know, Docker, let's talk about Docker a little bit, right? Because it, with Docker, you create your application and it's inside of a container. And in theory, we can throw the container anywhere we want. So if we were deployed in AWS and AWS had any kind of outage, we could just quickly go and redeploy in Azure or somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And it would be a very quick operation. But what about things like databases, right? So if I've got a, a web app, usually there's a database on the back end somewhere. And that database, that probably wouldn't exist in Docker, would it? No, I mean, you might have a, a Docker instance that's kind of running the process, but they recommend that all of your persistent data actually be stored in some volume, backed up appropriately. And sadly, uh, I've talked to several developers, and I'm not saying I have, but I might have also done this, where uh, we're just going to assume that it works, and, we, and we're back into that trap again, um, which you know brings up an interesting, the, the Docker hub, where all those images are stored. I didn't even test that the other day. I, w I wonder if that went down as well. I wonder where, where those are stored. Because <laughs> that, that also breaks a bunch of other infrastructure. But like, oh, well, I can just deploy it somewhere else. Oh, I can't get to Docker Hub because it's stored in S3. All those images are stored there. I'm not sure. I didn't see anything because people were losing their minds. There's some pretty funny, you know, like, is it down? And then that website was down, things of that nature. But I, I think there's a holy developers end up being very complacent with, with certain things like that. And that's, that's where sysadmins and, and, or these managed platforms kind of come into play. But that does put us in that weird position where if things go awry, we haven't planned for it, which is a bad place to be. Yeah, and I, I think that w 
when you deal with some of these managed platforms, right? So when you're dealing with Microsoft Azure or Google uh, Cloud or whatever, they have container services, right? And so we can we can deploy Docker apps right into uh, right into their environments. And I think they've, I would assume that they've cached a, a lot of what Docker Hub does for deployments. But I mean, we can do that ourselves too, right? You can create self-sustained mm -hmm. images, but. Now, now we're responsible for keeping those containers up to date. And then all the stuff that Docker's supposed to make us not have to worry about, we have to start worrying about. But uh, it's on a small scale, so it's not so bad. But th those are all things that we do need to be aware of, is that when you deploy into a cloud services uh, service environment, yes, they're going to give you some redundancy. Yes, they are going to have infrastructure that is oftentimes way superior than whatever you could have afforded on, on your budget. So yes, all that stuff is great. But... Everybody has downtime. It's going to happen sooner or later. It doesn't matter how great you are at predicting this stuff. And I guess if you're at Amazon right now, you could be making the argument of, well, you know, we had downtime sort of that all of our S3 infrastructure that was at all the other regions was up and fine. So really it was just a small portion, granted the largest region <laughs> that had the outage. So they could make the argument that, well, if, if we had distributed our workloads across more than one region, then we wouldn't have been impacted by that at all. And there was no outage. I wonder if they're gonna make that argument, you know, like we promised 99.99% and we're still at 100% because <laughs> S3 was up and running somewhere, just not in that one region. I could see them making that argument. But yeah, I could see that as well. Another thing that, that I could see is just bringing up awareness because as I said, we end up being very complacent, right? But you know, there's several sites like Quora. I read Quora from time to time, nice little articles. Some of them, you know, kind of interesting takes on things. It went down, S3 went down, it went down. But I think that should lead developers to be a little more proactive in Oh well, we're going to store the, our physical assets, our, our static assets on S3, but then you just go through the wizard, click, 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 and you're done. You forget about it, and then you never actually worry about managing that redundancy or any type of, you know, making sure your data is always available. Because maybe it's just you know a, a click here to for a checkbox, or once a month you have some batch process that makes sure you have redundancy throughout different regions, and this could have been avoided for a lot of sites. So. I, I think maybe if nothing else, you might be complaining, you might be upset, my site was down, I, I lost business value or whatever, but it should be a wake-up call that maybe I should step back, think about my infrastructure a little more, maybe be a little more hands-on, but you know, still use these services without, it's not necessarily the worry. Even though it was four hours, I can tell you, there's been times where something's went wrong on, a, on an app that I've been working on, and two days later, I'm like, ah, it's still not working. I don't, this, is, this is bad, and it's... It's something that I'd kind of put out of mind and not worried about. Well, I think the lesson we learned there is not to work with you, right? That's a... <laughs> that, 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 could, that could be a very valid lesson, Don. That could be a very valid lesson. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, definitely something we're going to keep an eye, our, our eyes on. We want to watch and find out. Amazon is, is really good about releasing what the root cause was. They'll find out. You know, like like that outage a few years ago, they were very detailed in what happened and, and let everybody know. And, and now we know, hey when we deploy out load balancers are great but we need to have load balancers in more than one region and then that'll help protect us from the outage that happened last time and then this time it'll be boy our s3 buckets we need to have them configured in a way that makes it where we can go to more than one region to get it cross region replication on an s3 bucket is a check mark away so i'm i'm not really worried about that i, I think there's a solution to this problem already baked in where i get worried are technologies like the databases right where um 
if I'm doing a relational database like uh, AWS's RDS service or Aurora or whatever, they're already replicating that data for me. And we can do read-only replicas all over the world. So you get that data closer to your customer, right? But if we lose our primary, we've got to manually go in and make one of those replicas the new primary. That's not an automatic process, or at least not that I've seen it. There may be a way to script or automate that somehow. But I'm more worried on the database side. And this wasn't a database outage, but as you as you read more about it out there, you know, for everybody out there in TV land, and you you start learning, you start looking at your own infrastructure for how to improve it, think about how the S3 bucket outage affected you and think about how much worse it would have been if it was a database. And you know, our, our website, the IT Quick TV website, if you went to our website during the outage, hey, some images didn't load. That's not the end of the world, right? So it wasn't that big of a deal. It was annoying, but it wasn't that big of a deal. But if our database had gone offline, our databases, there's more than one, uh, that's a different story. Now maybe you can't log into the website or you can't purchase something or, or whatever. Now we're affecting actual businesses. So definitely make sure you've looked at your infrastructure. And if you haven't done it already, a business impact analysis is a great way to go and evaluate the criticality of each piece of your solution and find out where you need to be building in redundancy. And don't feel like you have to do business with just one cloud platform. It's okay to distribute your workloads across more than one. Use AWS, use Azure, use Rackspace, use Google Cloud, whoever it is that you want to make use of. Um, use more than one and make sure that your applications are designed to be able to handle that. You got to get the developers involved, you know, people like Justin. And, uh, you know, once you get that in place, you can you can survive cloud failures, but you're even in a better position if you decide to migrate later on. Like maybe maybe one day I decide I, I don't want to do business with Amazon anymore. Well, if I've got half my stuff on Azure and half my stuff on Amazon, then all I've got to do is start deploying some more stuff somewhere else like Google Cloud, and then I can shut all the Amazon stuff down. You're, you're set up a little better to be able to make those kind of moves than if you were entirely, you know, eggs all in one basket type solution. So definitely something we want to keep our minds on is, as we as we design new solutions and we, we look at what's out there and as we hear more about these outages, cause they, they do happen. Yeah, Don, I, I think you brought up a, a good point. Stay more informed, right? Know, know about your business, know about the value because you know, I, I've read some pretty crazy uh, uh, talks um, like the, the transcripts of talks as well as like reports about the amount of data that people actually like telemetry data from mass multiplayer online games or even like sensor data that may have just been lost because what it was doing was throwing in the S3 and not having any way, oh, it's not there, so it just kind of backs up in a queue, dies. Well, for for things that I've built, that's not a huge deal, but it may have massive business impact. So yeah. definitely definitely stay informed and don't think of it as a sysadmin developer thing. You should, you should definitely work together. No. I, yes. Yes. <laughs> Wrong. Yes. <laughs> All right, you, know, you mentioned stay informed. There was a funny thing that happened yesterday during the outage is, uh, you know, I, I saw Justin walking through the building and uh, he mentioned the outage and, and I was like, oh yeah, I, I know about it. Um, and he said, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. And I said, no, and I, I pulled up the status page and I, I pulled up our account. It, it didn't show any of our systems affected. And Justin told me, he's like, actually, let me tell you about that status page. <laughs> Amazon was using S3 to store the data that the status page fed on. And so the, the status pages for AWS were actually affected by its own outage and it wasn't properly reporting on. So it said our systems were fine when they weren't. 
And sure enough, I pulled up our webpage and yeah, images weren't loading. So um, I think they've learned a little there. Like if some of their own applications weren't built in a redundant manner, I bet you can guarantee they will be in a few months. Right? Oh yeah, I, I am sure. Yeah, it was. Uh, there were some pretty funny times came out of that. Uh, <laughs> not funny for those who were affected negatively, but I, I saw one person was like, "What's S3?" And someone was like, "The internet's hard drive." So it's, it's <laughs> the internet's hard drive. It, it, it did have a, a far-reaching impact on some people. Yeah, I bet. All right. Well, Justin, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. I think we've uh, we've had a good talk here about cloud redundancy. Definitely something to keep on your mind as you design these solutions that it's not the easy button we all thought it was when you throw things into the cloud. So, all right. Well, I do want to thank you guys all for watching and be sure to visit back as we film more episodes. We're still early on in the lifetime of this podcast. So if you have any ideas for content for us to cover, be sure to shoot it in. I know I've thrown our, our Twitter handles up at various points. You can always shoot us an email. But uh, we just love talking about various things and, and trying to get information out there. So thank you guys for watching. Justin, thanks for being on the show with me. Thanks for having me, Don. It, it's, it's been a fun time. <laughs> All right. Everybody out there in TV land, stay safe. We'll see you next time.